Well, we've been over the last several weeks going through asking a question, if God, then why? And I've had so many people come up to me and say how much this has really uh, challenged them, helped them, encouraged them, clarified some things for them. I had somebody this morning say that I not only stepped on their toes, I stepped on their entire foot all the way up to their kneecap last week. I'm not trying to do that, but hey, if, if that's what the Lord is doing to help us to get more in tune with who God is. Uh, and we've been fleshing out these questions, if God, then why? And we're going to have another one today. But we've been asking some pretty challenging questions over these last several weeks about God. Actually, the questions are not so much about God, but it's really more of our understanding of God. So the questions that we've been asking haven't been so much about who God is, but really more of who we think that He is based on our theology. Now that word theology is kind of a big spiritual word and what theology simply means is our, it's our spiritual belief system. It's, it's what we've cobbled together over the years through church services and our understanding of God's Word, books that we read and uh, songs that we listen to and podcasts and all that sort of stuff. We bring it all together from even different denominations, Catholic and Pentecostal and Methodist, and you bring it all together and we have this certain theology that we believe about who God is. And, and, and so what we've been trying to do is unpack that a little bit and kind of make sure that we hold everything up to the light of God's Word and not just our personal thoughts on it and what we think is who God is, but really what does God's Word say about Himself? and how we can then uh, uh, have a relationship with Him that through the difficult times, through our times of sickness, how many's ever been sick? Yeah? I know I have. How many's ever had a time of loss? Anybody? Yeah. How many's ever struggled in situations? Anybody? See, we're all in the same boat. We're all in these situations where we have sickness and loss and struggle. No one is exempt from the challenges that life brings. All throughout God's Word, this feel-good gospel that's out there that has been promulgated through the, through the decades in this culture that says, if you receive Jesus, everything is going to go well. That's not what God's Word says. In fact, Jesus oftentimes said, not if you go through a trial, but when you go through a trial, when you go through situations. And so He's there for us, and, and He's our strength, and He's our help, absolutely. But He's telling us this morning that when we receive Christ, and whether we receive Christ or not, we're going to go through difficult times. Because that's what life is all about. But when we go through these inevitable challenges, how we handle them, and really how we come out on the back side of them, speaks volumes as to our understanding of who God is in the midst of, and actually because of, our struggles. And I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit this morning. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit this morning. Are you? I'm thankful that Jesus has given us His Spirit. Because you see, the Holy Spirit is with us to teach us. We need the Holy Spirit daily in our lives. We cannot live successfully in Christ without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as we've been saying from the first of the year, every day I'm challenging you. The first seven days we went through that time of fasting and prayer. And every Sunday since I've asked you, how you doing? Had you gone every day to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you? Are you getting under the, as the old adage says, are you getting under the spout where the glory comes out? Every day, are you getting washed in His Word? Are you getting filled with the Spirit? Are you getting renewed and empowered in His Spirit? 
If you're trying to do this thing on your own, you will surely fail. But the Holy Spirit, Jesus has given us so that when we go through these difficult times and when we have questions and when we're trying to figure things out, the Holy Spirit is there as the spirit of truth to always point us back to Jesus, to always glorify God. The Holy Spirit will never lie to us. The Holy Spirit will always, always give us the full counsel of God's Word. Here's the promise that Jesus gave us in John chapter 16. It says in verse 7, and then we're going to skip to verse 12, but write this down. John chapter 16, verse 7. He says, and he's speaking to the, to the disciples. He's actually speaking to us today. But very truly I tell you, he says, it is for your good that I am going away. He was telling the disciples, I'm getting ready to leave. And so he's saying, this is why it's really good that I'm going away. Because unless I go away, the advocate, who is the Holy Spirit, that's capital A, advocate. The advocate, the counselor, in some versions that you may have, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus ascends and he then descends the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and then he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it's, because it's from me that he received what he will make known to you. So in essence, this is what he's saying. Jesus is saying, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. I'm going to speak to the Holy Spirit, and then he's going to speak to you. The things that I can't tell you right now. And here's probably what's going on is because as we receive him as Lord and Savior, and we go through things, the Holy Spirit needs to speak to us at that moment during that situation and point us back to the truth of God's word. Oftentimes we go to other people, other things that are not God's word. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to have happen, by the way. But the Holy Spirit in us draws us back to Christ, draws us back to his word and says, let me give you the full counsel of what his word says in this situation that you're going through so that you will surely not fail, but that you'll succeed and be victorious and do well through this and trust me through these things that you're going through. Through the counsel of the Holy Spirit over these last several weeks, I believe, we've been expanding our, our theological foundation. We've been filling in the gaps of what I kind of visually picture these slivers that we've been standing upon, this slivers of foundation. Imagine if you, if you go to a house and, and you have wood floors and, and, and it would look kind of funny if you just had a plank here and, and then a plank here and, and then a plank here. And then this is what we do is when we walk into that room, we have to go, well, I had to just kind of do this, you know, to walk on this plank to get to the other side. And that's what we do in our spiritual walk when you think about it. We have these little slivers of, of planks and we kind of just, just kind of do this on these planks and kind of walk through that room. Instead, he wants us to have the full counsel so that we can tap dance in that room and we can dance before the Lord. We can trust him with that sure foundation of a full foundation, a full counsel. And that's what God's word gives us. This, this, this theological foundation, this theology, filling in all those gaps and those slivers so that we can have that more solid and complete foundation of a mature belief system of what God, of who God is as it relates to his interaction with us. And then so that way when trials come, we can stand firm in our faith. How many wants that? When trials come, not if, but when trials come, how many would like to stand firm in your faith, right? Not wavering, not being led astray. 
Now I want you to know something as we begin here this morning. That God loves you. I want you to turn to someone and say that. Say, God loves you. Yeah. Yeah. Now, can you also then turn to yourself and say, God loves me. And Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Right? That old song from way back when. Jesus loves you. I don't think that some of you believe that. But God loves you. You can believe it or not. But he does love you. Well, based on my circumstances, I just don't know if he loves me. Based on my upbringing, based on what I'm going through right now, based on what people have told me, based on how I feel, I don't know if God loves me. All those things are irrelevant to the fact that God loves you. He does. And it's not based on your circumstances. It's not based on how you feel. It's not based on what anybody's told you or, or your past or anything else. God's word says it. And it's actually because maybe you're going through some things that he's even brought you here today. Think about it. God loves you so much that he's brought you here today. To tell you that he loves you. And I want you to also know something. That God's heart breaks when you experience loss and when you experience struggle through difficult times. His heart's breaking when you go through that. He's not laughing at you. He doesn't laugh at you. Look at that. Look at this, guys. Look what's going on with that person. Let's work, let's work, let's work. They're going through a hard time. Isn't this a laugh? I mean, does that sound like God? Would God do that? Of course not. God's not laughing at you. He's not mocking you. God's not indifferent towards you. And he's certainly not aloof and unconcerned about you. He's not sitting there going, whatever. Oh, that's not the nature of God. God is not a mean God who zaps you when you make a mistake. Some of you have grown up that way. See, I just think you just picture God as this trigger-happy entity, being, up in heaven, who's ready to just leave us as a pile of burnt ashes as he hurls bolts of his fiery judgment upon us when we slip up. That's not God. He doesn't kick us when we're down. He doesn't say, I told you so. And he certainly doesn't write us off as a hopeless case. Isn't that good to know? Yeah. You see, God cares. God is aware and God is there with you through the good times and through the bad times. He has promised in his word to never leave us and to never forsake us. When Moses was handing the reins of leadership over to Joshua and the Israelites were facing the daunting task of possessing the land that God had promised them, Moses said these words to Joshua, and I'll say these words to you. This is God speaking to you this morning. Listen, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, he says, Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or terrified because of them. Now, what he was talking about was the enemies in the promised land. But what I can say to you is them, it could be your struggles, your problems, your difficulties, your past, what you're experiencing right now, the, the, the troubles and the tests and the trials that you're going through. Don't be afraid or terrified because of them, the enemies in the land or whatever the struggles that we face, for or because the Lord your God goes with you. Oh, wait a minute. In my struggles, in my tests, in my times of difficulty, you mean God's with me? Absolutely, He's with me. Absolutely, He's with you today. 
And he will never leave you, here's the promise, nor forsake you. He doesn't turn tail and run when you're going through a problem saying, man, you're on your own and I'll be back on the backside of this thing when you get through it. He's there with us every step of the way. Isn't that good to know? I love this truth, by the way. This is a little side bonus message here this morning that I can give you just for a couple of minutes, okay? This is not what we're going to be talking about this morning, but I feel like the Lord would have me to say this to somebody here this morning. Joshua was leading the Israelites into a land that God had already promised them. You hear me? Go into the land that is already yours, is what God was saying. It was already there. They just needed to go and possess it. You hear me? Already going into the land. It's already theirs. All you need to do is go and possess it. They had to take the necessary steps to take dominion over it. God had already given it to them. Their name was already on the title deed. It was already there, the name. They just needed to reach out and take hold of it. Now, I'm not sure if there's maybe someone here today that God has promised you something, but you have yet to take possession of it. Uh, let me give you an illustration of that. What if I told you that I had a brand new car for you? Brand new. That new car smell. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? And in fact, I got the keys right here. And I say, fill in your name to you. I got a brand new car waiting for you in the parking lot. It's right out there right now. Congratulations. And here's the keys. And if you took the keys in your hand and you said thank you, but you never went out to the parking lot, you never put the key in the ignition, started it up, put it in park or drive rather, and take off and, and took off in that car. If you just sat there with the keys saying, I got a brand new car. I've been given this reward, this prize, this present, this blessing. I, I've been given it to me. But if you did nothing, guess what? You've never possessed it, did you? You got it. I mean, it's, your name is on the, is on the, uh, on the what's that called? The title. title. That's the one. Thank you. Your name's on the title. All you got to do is just start that thing full of gas, ready to go. But now, you have the keys. You have the keys. This is what the Lord would tell someone here this morning. Again, this is not the message, but I felt like I needed to say this to somebody. God has given you the keys. You hear me? So go and possess it. Now that's a little sermon 1A right there. All right? In the midst of your struggles, God is with you to strengthen you and to help you and to take hold of the things that he has taken hold of you to overcome and to possess and to live in. So go and possess it. So, David wrote these words as he continued to struggle on the challenges that he continually faced. And I want to read this to you because this is speaking to, to, to me this morning. I hope it speaks to you. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. This is to you this morning. Put your name right here. Where can I go from your spirit? He says. He's talking to the Lord. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If, my, if I make my bed in the depths... You're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say surely, the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even in the darkness. It will not be dark to you. 
The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For darkness is as light to you. <laughs> Our darkest dark is light, light to him. I'm so thankful that no matter what question that I may have, that Jesus is the answer. Amen? Amen. That no matter what struggle I may face, that Jesus is with me. Amen? I'm so glad that no matter how difficult the season is that I'm in, that Jesus is my strength. Amen? Amen. So this leads us to the next question about God this morning that we're going to ask and answer. And it's up on the screen. If God is a God of life, then why does death exist? Before we continue, I'd like to bow, uh, us to bow our heads and pray. Father, Holy Spirit, come right now and illuminate the truth of your word to us. Some of us in this place, all of us in fact in this place, have tasted death with a loved one or some way we've heard of a friend or a family member. Death is part of life. It's the reality of things. We struggle with this. We struggle that we know that one day we're going to die. We don't understand why there has to be death and we've gotten mad at you and maybe we know some people that have turned away from you because you didn't answer the prayers like we wanted you to but Holy Spirit help us to would you put some planks on our foundation this morning underneath us Lord God that we're not just walking in slivers of truth but Lord help us to receive the full counsel this morning of your word and understand why does death exist father we just ask you to minister to us let's walk out of here going oh okay all right i'm not gonna have a crisis of faith in this anymore but this will be something we remember for the rest of our lives as we encounter death around us as we go through our life we thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping us with this. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Um, it's ironic as we were putting, as I was putting this message together this week, that Kelly and I, uh, a friend of ours, passed away this past Tuesday. Um, she was only 53 years old, and um, last spring, she was starting to feel a little bit of indigestion, some issues in her in her digestive system and she just thought it was just stuff she was eating but it come to find out that they diagnosed her with pancreatic cancer and this was in March or April of last year and um, she lasted about nine or ten months and uh, picture of health everything was fine and then just like that really um, she's gone um, as a side note, I'm so thankful that she was able to rededicate her heart to the Lord, and she's in heaven today. Yeah, yeah, amen. But it was as 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 as. In fact, I just we just found this out. She passed away on Tuesday, but I just didn't find out until Friday. Um, and so this is fresh, you know. This is fresh, but it's a reminder again that death is part of life. And uh, I don't know about you, but I I, I hate death. I don't think anybody enjoys death or even the topic of it. Death feels so final. It's hard to say goodbye to those that we love so. Those who pass leave a permanent hole in our hearts. Those empty seats at the family gatherings, those special dates on the calendar that they're not there to celebrate. They're a constant reminder that they're gone. I know death is hard. God knows it too. 
So we ask the question, why would God allow such pain and hurt on the earth in our lives? Why do people die? Why can't they just live forever? Yeah. Well, for this, let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. We need to go all the way back to the creation of man to start answering this question. I'm going to read the entire chapter. Follow with me in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent, who we know as Satan, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Eve, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. The serpent replied, you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, the bird-brained, thick-headed dude who was standing next to her, <laughs> who couldn't open up his mouth and say a word about it, and he ate it. Dummy. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? By the way, God knew all this. God knew where they were. God knew they ate. Uh, he wasn't sitting there going, ah, this just sucks a shock. He knew exactly what was going on. Then the man said, well, the woman, <laughs> this lady right here you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then so God turned to the woman and said, why have you done this? And the woman says, well, that snake right there. He deceived me and I ate. So the, and so, then the serpent said, <laughs> then, then God turned to the serpent and said, because you've done this, and the serpent didn't have anywhere to turn. He was like, yeah, it's, it's me. Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You're going to crawl on your belly and you're going to eat dust all the days of your life. And then one of the first prophecies in, in the Bible about Jesus, in fact, it probably is the first prophecy about Jesus, occurs right here. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, meaning the serpent and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. So you see the, def you see the line of delineation here. What he was really saying was, God was saying, I'm going to put uh, uh, a conflict. There's going to be this war that's going to begin here between your domain and my domain, and the domain that of people that I've created, human, humankind. And then he says, uh, he, will, he, meaning Jesus, he will crush your head, meaning that <laughs> you're going to get slaughtered, you're going to be completely obliterated one day, but in the meantime, you're going to strike his heel. So that's what we see is that Jesus was born to die, right? You're going to strike his heel. We, he, 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 Satan, struck Satan's, uh, Satan struck Jesus' heel. And Jesus did die, but he rose again. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. To the woman, he said, you're going to make, I'm going to make pain in childbearing very severe. Can I hear some amens from some ladies? Yeah. 
With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Can I hear some amen from the men? Ah, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you're going to eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you're going to eat your food until you return to the ground, since from you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you'll return. You see, what that's saying is that sin didn't just enter into man, but it impacted all of creation. All of creation. All the way out to the furthest, furthest star that we could see. Sin has impacted all of creation. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Where did those garments of skin come from? That was the first sacrifice for the covering of the nakedness of sin. They knew they were naked, so God killed an animal, took the skin off, and made clothes for mankind. And then the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us. Who is us? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So there's a tree of knowledge of good and evil, a tree of life. They ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If they were to take to the tree of life, Adam and Eve would still be alive today. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So the question is, why does death exist? And the answer is, death entered all of creation with the original sin of the first man and woman. How many has a job here? Raise your hand if you have a job. How many gets a paycheck from that job? How many likes getting those paychecks from that job? Yeah, okay, that's good. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. So the wages from your job is a paycheck. But the wages of your sin is death. How many ever sinned before in this place? If you're not raising your hand, that's your first sin. It's an act. You're lying. So you've sinned, all right? All of us have sinned. Romans 3.23 says, For all, say all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Your work, your job gets wages from your toil. The same with sin. Our work of sin, all of us, has a payday coming for all of us, and that payday is called death. We were all born in sin. As we look around today, there's not one perfect person in the bunch of us today. None of us. Death exists because of sin. We die because our bodies are corrupted by sin. Sin corrupts. Sin robs. Sin destroys. Sin eventually kills. There's no escaping it for any of us. Our bodies are going to die. Hebrews 9.27 says very clearly that it's appointed unto man once to die. And if, this were, and if this were all that we had to look forward to, by the way, as God told Adam and Eve, you're going to toil in your work, you're going to have pain in your childbirth, you're going to struggle throughout life, and then back to the dust, and that's it. Then what a hopeless life it would be for us. 
Some people actually live their lives thinking that there's nothing beyond it, that this is it, actually. So they might as well go for it, live for themselves with no thought of consequences for their choices. If you've ever seen, in fact, this week, it was Groundhog Day on, was it Wednesday or Thursday? If you ever seen that movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray, it's such a funny movie, you know? But the guy kept living the day, the same day, over and over and over and over again. And he got to a point, he had some different moods going on. At one point, he just said, you know what? If there's no consequences, I can do whatever I want today because I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and still hear Sonny and Cher singing, I got you, babe. Every day, it was the same thing. And so he would drive his car off the cliff and he would jump off of stuff and he would, you know, just do stupid, foolish things because there was no consequences. So he's just living for the moment. He would eat, uh, eat uh, awful stuff, you know, for his body and just kind of live his life in a way that he didn't care. And that's what we kind of end up doing, don't we? We kind of live our own Groundhog Day, thinking, I'm just going to do whatever I want, just throw caution to the wind. We can grab hold of all that we can. We go for the gusto. We just live life for the moment. We fulfill every lust of the flesh with reckless abandon. We drive 200 miles per hour on the interstate of life without any concern for our future because we don't believe that there's anything beyond this life. And we laugh at that, but people live that way. But the Bible calls those people fools. Psalm 14, 1 says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. It continues by saying they're corrupt and their deeds are vile and that there's no one who does good. As they say, there is no God. But I'm here to say this morning that there is a God. I'm here to declare this morning that your choices do have consequences. And that what we do on this earth, whether good or whether bad, we're going to have to answer for when we face God one day. Hebrews 9.27, as we said, it concludes, it says that it's appointed that a man wants to die, but it concludes by saying that after we die, once we die, there's going to be a judgment. We're going to stand before God. And then it finishes with this promise as we pivot here. Hebrews 9.28 says, so Christ... So it's appointed unto man wants to die, and there's going to be a judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once, say once, to take away the sins of many. Say many. We could also say all. Christ was sacrificed once for the sins of all. And he will appear a second time. He came the first time so that he can do the work that he needed to do, so that we can be forgiven of our sins. At least have that option to receive that free gift of salvation. But he's going to come the second time not to bear our sin, but he's going to come back to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. As Brother Don said this morning, I, I just feel like Jesus is coming back soon. I can say amen to that. How many can say amen to that? Are you waiting for his return? Are you actively living your life in such a way that Jesus could come back today? Think about that. That's an important question. If Jesus were to come back today, are you living your life in such a way where you know that you'd be caught up? Where you wouldn't stand before him ashamed. Where you wouldn't be frittering your life away and you stand before him trying to make excuses. But instead you're living your life to the full for him. Because he could come back today. You see, death exists because of sin. Sin cannot enter into heaven. Follow the track. Death exists because of sin. And sin can't enter into heaven. You get that? And we are all sinners. But some of us are saved by grace. And so Jesus came to bear our sin upon himself. 
and then to conquer death and hell and the grave. And he came to reverse this curse of sin that Adam and Eve did for us. And really that Satan tempted them to. And I'm so glad that Jesus came to give us a hope of a future beyond the grave. We have a hope beyond the grave. Your loved ones who have passed on before you in Christ are in heaven right now. They have a hope beyond the grave and they're experiencing it. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. For those of us who are waiting, he's going to save us from the curse of sin once and for all. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 19, says this. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Read the headlines in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We read by the witnesses, too, that he's alive and he's well. They saw him ascend. They saw him walking on the, on the earth. They talked with him. They ate with him. Jesus is alive. And it says that he's the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. In other words, of those who've died. He's the first fruits. He did die. But then he rose again. For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, Jesus. For as Adam, in Adam all die, so in Christ we all are made alive. You hear that? For in Adam we all die, but in Christ we're all alive. Christ is the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him, and then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom uh, to, the, to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, after he's destroyed all authority, after he's destroyed all the power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And what is that last enemy to be destroyed? It's death. He's going to destroy death once and for all, for he has put everything under his feet. Say everything with me. Everything, including death. Jesus has put everything under his feet. His last enemy to be destroyed will be death. So today, we're in kind of in between these two things. Jesus is in the process of making all things new. And his final act will be not just to, put, not just to conquer death. I mean, he's not just going to win a battle. He's going to actually destroy death. Death will be no more. That's hard to understand because part of our life is death, right? But death will be no more. You will live forever. No more death. No more clues of death. No more thoughts of death. No more signs of death. I mean, we look at our bodies and we go, yeah, I'm dying. You know? But that's not going to happen anymore in heaven. Death will be no more. So again, we're in between these two things right now. We're dealing with sin and death. We're also knowing that Jesus is in the process of putting those things under his feet and completely destroying them. Completely destroying them. He is the champion, the victor, the conqueror of all things. So, sin isn't God's fault. And by the way, death isn't God's fault. Can we just put the, can we just put the blame back on who it belongs to? It's us. We can say, oh, the devil made me do it. No, no, no. We have a choice. Satan, again, as I said a few weeks ago, he, he loves to grease the skids for us. He's all the more happy to just point us in the right direction, or in the wrong direction, to do those things that we know we ought not to do. So sin isn't God's fault. Sin didn't bring sin into the... It, 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 God didn't bring sin into the world, and God didn't bring death into the world. We did. 
So let's not blame God for something that is our fault. But God's brought the remedy. He's brought the solution. You see, we choose to sin. Death is the wages of our sin. Uh, let me give you the full counsel regarding death here this morning. We've got to be careful not to blame God and to get mad at God when a loved one dies. Did you pray for a loved one and they still passed away? I bet you did. I'm sure you didn't say, God, just kill them. Just, just take them. I'm tired of them. Get them out of here. You didn't do that. God, save my husband. Heal my wife. Rescue my child, my loved one. Please heal them. Do a miracle. Right? Right? Sure we did. But they still passed away, didn't they? Yeah. Why? Well, Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed a man wants to die. Mm. But here's the dilemma. Jesus also said, you could come to me and say, well, Jesus also said in John 14, 14, you ask anything in my name and I'm going to do it. Oh, that's a sliver. That's a sliver of theology that many of us have just lived our entire lives on. And not just praying for a loved one that they would live, but also I want that car, I want that house, I want that job, I want that relationship, I want those things. Ask anything. Anything's a big old word. Ask anything in my name and I will do it. Not I might do it. So you take that phrase and you say, wait a minute, God, I ask you to heal my loved one, and that's anything. And you said you'll do it, and they, they died. The Bible also instructs us in James 5.14 to call upon the elders of the church to pray for the sick and that they will recover. So how do you, how do you reconcile these seemingly contradicting instructions in God's Word? You see the problem here? So if the Bible is to be fully embraced, how can both of these promises be true? And we can get into this a lot of different ways. There's a lot of different scriptures that provide all the rest of the planks to fill the foundational gaps of our theology this morning. But let me give you one simple example. It's a one simple three-letter word, in fact, that Jesus himself uttered as he prayed to God, his heavenly Father. I love it how you can disseminate these issues of life like this that cause people to have these crises of faith by boiling it down to one sentence and really one three-letter word. If we can just focus on that. And it fills in all the rest of the gaps. And you actually touched on it a little bit, Don, as you were up here sharing this morning. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was moments before his betrayal and his crucifixion. And he was struggling with what he knew he was getting ready to have happen to him. He knew that he was going to be betrayed crucified and killed in an awful, awful way. His flesh didn't want to do it. Because you see, Jesus was fully God, but also fully man, fully human. So he understood these sort of things that were going on. He knew what was getting ready to happen. The pain and the just the grueling, awful stuff that he was getting ready to go through. And so he cried out in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, as he was in the garden. He says, my father... If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Let's just stop right there. That's the flesh. That's the humanity part. Lord, if there's any other way for this work to be done to rescue all of man, all of creation, then would you go with plan B? But he knew in his heart there wasn't a plan B. There was a plan A and that was it. And so he was wrestling there. And then he says this one key word. He says, yes. Yet, it's a three-letter word, tiny little thing, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. It's a pivot. 
word. Yet, God, if there's any way that you can heal my loved one, if there's any way that you can bring healing and do a miracle in their lives, and if there's any way that as we've laid hands on them and we prayed for them, and as, as I've asked it in your name, Jesus, that they be healed. But if we don't say yet, then we're going to have a crisis of faith. Because he says, yet, not my will, but yours be done. That's hard. But what that does is it makes us step back from us being in control and having what we want and causes us to yield to God's sovereignty and his plan for your life and for their lives. When we can step back after making our requests and trust God with the outcome. I mean, do you trust God that he has your best interest at heart? Do you trust God that when you pray these prayers, whether it be healing a loved one or whether it be whatever the case may be, as you pray, make sure you say the word yet and then say not my will but yours be done add that to it and that allows God to be God anybody in here God nobody wants to take that job right all right I didn't think so smart choice by the way let God be God let's trust him with the big picture let's trust him with the master plan. You can lay hands on them. You can pray in Jesus' name. You can quote scripture. You can remind Jesus of his promises. You can remind him of his finished work. But then, having done all, just stand. Just stand. And say the word yet. Because think about this. I mean, if we were to take this to the extreme, if we continue to pray for our loved ones, laying hands on them, quoting scripture over them, I mean, reminding Jesus of his promises, and God healed them every single time, then... They would never die. Nobody would ever die. But that's not how it works, is it? Because you see, bodies die, don't they? Our souls are going to live forever, but our bodies are wasting away every day. Kelly and I have a good friend who, when she speaks about her father, who passed away in 2011, she always says, when my dad went to heaven, she never says, when my dad died. I love this. 100% of the time she says, when my dad went to heaven. And I, every time she says it, it, it just, it's a testimony. It's a testimony of her faith in the Lord's promises. It's a testimony. Actually, it's a testimony to those who don't even know the Lord to say, my dad's not dead. My dad's in heaven. So she didn't say, when my dad died and went to heaven. She just takes that whole died part out. And she says, when my dad went to heaven, I know this, that he's more alive than any of us here today. You know, I know that she prayed for her, uh, her father. I know that her family prayed for her father. I know that they prayed for him to be healed. But God took him instead to heaven to be with him. What a great testimony of her faith in Jesus. She didn't have a crisis of faith. There was no crisis of faith with her when her dad went to heaven. She's serving the Lord as faithfully as ever today. Loves Jesus. Because she trusts God. 
And she knows that the final breath on this earth means that the next breath is in heaven for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 8 through 11, All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Then he says this, Jesus says about himself, I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. Then they'll come and go and find pasture. There's a safety in Jesus being our shepherd. But we have to go through his gate first. The thief, we all know this verse, the thief being Satan only comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's Satan's job description, by the way. If you were to fill out a resume and hand it to you saying, I'm applying for a job in your life, and this is what I'm going to do, and you hire him, this is what he's going to do. He's going to steal from you, he's going to kill you and things in you, and he's going to destroy you. If you hire him into your life, that's what he's going to do. That's what he does best. By the way, he's also the king of liars, and everything that he says is a lie. He's the author of all the lies. Anytime he opens up his mouth and says anything, it's a lie. But, Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the what? Half full. Three-fourths full. Ninety-nine percent full. How many wants to have a life in full in Christ? hundred percent, right? That's who, what he's come to, to give us. The, the, the opposite of that is Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. God, Jesus has come that we might have life and have it to the full. And then he continues by saying, I'm the good shepherd. Obviously, there's some bad shepherds out there. I hope I'm not one of them. God, please help me to be a good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, capital G, capital S. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Is that what Jesus did for us? Absolutely. He's the good shepherd. He's laid down his life for you. And so through that door, through that gate, we enter in. And then he takes care of us and helps us to have life to the full. Jesus is the gate through which we're saved. He alone laid down his life for, his, for us. So that through his death, we might live. And by the way, there's only one life that we live. We only get one shot at this. You know, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of cults and there's a lot of crazy sort of beliefs out there. There's, there's not going to be any do-overs. There's not going to be any second chances. I don't care what has been... See, that's another thing we've got to be careful of. We kind of get this theology kind of mixed up and we mix it in with other sorts of things. Like reincarnation. That is not in God's Word. Reincarnation is not scriptural. It's satanic. Reincarnation has nothing to do with what God wants to do for us. Becoming one again with the universe, that's not in God's Word. All right? This New Age stuff, there's nothing to do with God's Word with that. Evolution, that is completely false. It has nothing to do with God's Word. We are not, we didn't used to be a monkey or an amoeba, okay? God created man and woman in the garden. And we are how we are today. That's how they were back then. There was no evolution taking place. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a theory, not a fact. Evolution has been teach, taught in schools as a fact. Students, listen to me. And adults, listen to me. Evolution is a lie. It's a fallacy. It's opposite of what God's Word says. Don't embrace it. Embrace God's Word today. Nirvana, all those sort of things. They're all lies from the pit of hell. Reincarnation, for example, it's a belief that you get, your, you get to live your life over and over and over, and you get to come back in different forms. Each time applying what was learned from the life before and somehow doing better. So, you know, I started out, by the way, as a worm, okay, and, and well, I can do better than that. So I'm going to come back. Uh, I'm going to come back as a dog. Right? So now I'm a dog. Well, I can do better than a dog. 
So now I'm going to come back as a, as a person, but I'm a, I'm a murderer. Oh, I've murdered somebody. I can do better than that. So finally, I'm coming back as, as this benevolent do-gooder, and there I finally got it perfected. I'm good to go. And some people believe that. I used to be a, I used to be a this, and I used to be a that. It's ridiculous. It's a, it's a deceptive lie from the pit of hell. And by the way, if reincarnation were true, then wouldn't the world and the people in it be better, not worse? Think about it. I mean, if reincarnation were true, we would be living in this nearly perfect society right now. Because we've had enough time to regenerate to being better and better and better. Haven't we? You would think. But things are definitely not better. Things are absolutely worse, aren't they? Because that's what God's Word said would happen. Read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. I'm not going to read it out loud to you today, but write that down and read it later because you're going to read the, the digression of people that started... By believing there's not a God. And from there, it's just a slippery slope. It describes the decline of humanity that rejects Jesus and goes their own way. If you read it, it's like reading the daily headlines of where the world is today. You see, the truth is that we will all die one day. Unless we're alive at the rapture. And by the way, <laughs> I hope that I don't have to do another funeral. I hope that we'll all remain alive until he comes to take us away. I believe it could be any day now. Jesus is coming soon. Those in Christ have heaven to look forward to. And the Bible says that death is going to be swallowed up in victory. There's going to be this new, glorified, sinless, perfect, eternal body. Just, by the way, like what Adam and Eve had before they sinned. What once was will be again. There's this arc of human history that started in the Garden of Eden. And it's going to return to how God originally created it to be through Jesus Christ. Finished work, it's a new heaven and a new earth because this earth is not our final destination. And by the way, death is not our final act. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus is going to make all things new again. One day, very, very soon. So instead, folks, of focusing on death, let's focus on life. Death is going to happen one day. Okay, whatever. But God has given us a life to live today. Instead of just focusing on heaven one day, folks, how about let's pay closer attention to the days that we've been blessed with on this earth. Uh, one of my favorite movies is uh, Pollyanna, back in the early 60s. And she said to this supposedly sicky, uh, sickly and cranky and hypochondriac Mrs. Snow, remember her? Ah, I'm going to die. And she was perfectly fine, but she was a hypochondriac. And she was just focused on death. She was constantly claiming that she was his death door. And Pollyanna said to her one day, she says, Why do you focus so much on dying when there's so much living to do? I love that. We have a lot of living to do. But let's do it for Jesus. Amen? What we do on this earth matters. The days that God has given us are valuable. We must steward them well. David writes in Psalm 139, 16, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Did you know that God has your days numbered? He does. He knows exactly when that last day in, is in your life. And these days that are in your life are in his hands. Now Moses then wrote in Psalm 90, it's considered one of the oldest psalms in the book of Psalms. Moses wrote these words, what a great wisdom prayer, by the way. Teach us to number our days aright. What a great prayer. Teach me to number my days aright, 
that I may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, help me to be sober to that this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it and do for him and not for me. Our time on earth is limited, absolutely. But our goal should be to use each and every day wisely, not living for just what feels good in the moment, not wasting our days by counting them until we die or until Jesus comes back, but really living for Jesus and always keeping the things eternal right at the forefront. Death came into humanity when we disobeyed God. Every generation has followed suit. So we ask this question one more time as we wrap this thing up today. If God is a God of life, then why does death exist? And here's why. It's because of our sin. But God has a remedy for our sin sickness. His name is Jesus. And his blood is the cure. For those of us who have placed our faith in him, we have a life to live to the full and an eternity to look forward to with him. Where there's going to be no more tears, no more pain, no more sickness, no more death. No more. A new heaven, a new earth. Where the Bible says is going to dwell righteousness. But until then, but until then, folks, we have some living to do. Amen? We have some living to do, so let's, let's gain a heart of wisdom and let's number our days aright in him. Let's live our lives to the full in him every day. What does that look like for you today? I don't know. What does that look like for you, teenager, today? You're in high school. You've got your whole life ahead of you. And you think, well, I'm just going to go and do what my, my thing, and I'm just going to go experience life and party and do some stuff. And then maybe I'll come back to Jesus later, but I want to I I live my life to the full today for me. You're a fool. You're a fool to think that way. Don't waste your years living for yourself. Because the path back to God is not as easy as you think it would be. You may be middle-aged. Say, man, I'm just busy right now. I got a family. I got bills. I got responsibilities. And, and I'm just, I don't have time to really give my heart fully to Jesus. I mean, I love Him. I'm here today. What more do you want? Yeah, he wants all of us. Yeah, I get it. You're busy. You got stuff going on. Struggles and problems. You may be retired. You have fewer years ahead of you than you have behind you. And maybe you're just trying to coast into heaven and say, you know, I've done my part. I've worked. I've given. I've sacrificed. I've served. I love Jesus, but I'm going to hand that baton off to the next person no there's nowhere in God's word that says to do that God has given us this day we have this moment and he has a job and a plan and a blessing for you to enjoy through the struggles through the challenges but he wants you to give him every day of your life at the beginning as a teenager middle age and senior saints we still have days don't we and we still have a life to give and a love to share and a gospel to preach let's gain a heart of wisdom 
Let's number our days aright. Don't let the next big thing in your life be your death. Take full advantage of each day to live to use for His glory. Don't coast into heaven, but instead choose to do some damage to Satan's kingdom on your way out. Don't spend your days making a living so much as you spend your days making a difference. Steward your days wisely for Him. Enjoy your life in Christ today and trust Him with all of your days that He has numbered ahead and has appointed for you to live. But live them in Him and live them for Him because we have some living to do in Him. Amen? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, instead of us focusing so much on death, we want to focus on life. And instead of us being mad at you because you've taken people to be with you after we prayed and did all that we stood firm to believe in. Father, we thank you that we've expanded our foundation here to understand that you're sovereign and you know what's best. And the full counsel of your word says that because of sin, we all will die one day unless you come and take us home in the rapture. So, Father, if we've gotten mad at you, if we've gotten bitter at you, and the roots have grown down deep in that bitterness, Father, I pray that you'd help us to give that bitterness over to you. And would you gently but firmly take those roots all the way, I mean, take the bitterness out, all the way down to the roots, all the way down. Just, just remove it those roots of bitterness. We're angry. We're just mad at you because you took our loved one away. We're so lonely. We're so hurt. We're so confused. Father, we pray that you would rush in with your presence right now. And don't let us be lonely anymore. Uh, rush in with your love right now and don't let us be empty anymore. God, just let your peace be there. Let your understanding be there. Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, come and fill the gaps of the things that are question marks in our life with the answer of who you are, Lord Jesus. Only you can do this. And you know how we're wired, each of us individually. And you know how to minister to our hearts. And Father, when we face a loved one's death down the road and we're praying for them and we're laying hands on them and we're asking anything in your name and trusting that you're going to do it, we're also going to say, yet, yet, not my will but yours be done. Father, we're going to let you be God. And we're going to trust you with the big picture. Lord, today as we bow our heads, close our eyes, and we're um, getting ready to wrap this up today. But Lord, before we do, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you've been ministering to some people's hearts today. I know you have. Lord, I, I, I just want to give you the place to minister to hearts. Lord, won't you right now pour your your peace, yeah. There's a peace that needs to be in your heart this morning. The Lord is, the Lord is saying right now to someone, open up your heart and let me give you my peace. Because there, there's a disruption that's there. It's because that, of that loved one who passed away. The peace is not there. Instead, there's an anger, a confusion, a frustration. And and the Lord is right now ready to exchange all that for his peace and that peace talks about it it's a peace that passes all understanding so you don't need to try to figure this out I love that part 
it'll rule your thinking and your emotions, your heart and your mind. In other words, that peace that passes all understanding that'll rule your heart and mind. That's what he wants to give you today. In place of this anger and this confusion and this sadness that you're feeling right now because of that loved one that you've lost. Lord, exchange these things that are not of you for the things that are of you right now. We give you our hurt. We give you our bitterness. We give you our anger and frustration and confusion. We give you these things that maybe even are, we don't understand why, why this is happening maybe. We just even wonder if you even love us, but we know you do. So Lord, take all that stuff away that's Satan lying to us, that native tongue of his lying that says, see, he doesn't care. See, God doesn't answer prayers. See, there's not power in Jesus. See, those are all lies from Satan. Father, we identify those lies and we lay them at your feet and we say, no, no, no. I'm not going to live in that. Lord, I, I want to live in your truth. I want to live in your peace. I want to live in your sovereignty. I want to live in your strength. I want to live in your love. Holy Spirit, you reveal to me those things. See, he's doing that right now. Just let him pour into you his peace and let the Holy Spirit take the reins, the spirit of truth, to take the reins of this that's in your life that you've been wrestling with for months and maybe even years about this loved one that you've lost. And let him, shift, uh, let him take this ship and set it aright. Straighten it up in your life again. Let him set the sails well and head back to true north to Jesus again. No more floundering around in the sea aimlessly, trying to figure it out. No more feeling like you're sinking and going under for the last time. He is sealing up the holes. He's setting that sail straight. And he's moving you in the direction of him again. Won't you let him do that this morning? Only Holy Spirit can do that. And only if you allow him. Just allow him. Yeah. And Lord, we thank you that as you're doing that, there's some other folks here that are saying, you know what, I... I you're talking about Jesus and you're talking about this blood and you're talking about him being the shepherd and him being the gate and him coming back and no more death. And I'm sitting here this morning saying, yeah, I don't think I can say that. I, I, I don't think that I'm in that category of feeling assured that I'm saved and that if Jesus were to come back today, I'm not sure I'd be caught up in the rapture. I, if I were to die today, I'm not sure I would go to heaven. I want to make sure today, I want to make sure that my sins are forgiven, that He is my Savior, that He is my Lord, that I am born again. I want to make sure of that today. I want to be in that category that you were talking about, Pastor Brian. I want Jesus to be my good shepherd. If that's you this morning, and as these altars are open and you want to come up and pray, absolutely. But... If that's you this morning with every eye closed and head bowed, I want to extend an invitation to you and those of you who are watching from home. Do you need Jesus in your heart? Do you want to make absolutely sure that you're born again? Is that you this morning? You feel a little uneasy this morning? You just want to make sure if that's you this morning, you can be sure and absolutely sure before we leave this place. How about it? Just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, I want Jesus in my heart. I need to be saved this morning. Lift up your hand and put it right back down. And we'll pray a prayer together in just a few moments. It's a simple prayer. You got to meet it in your heart. Confess it with your mouth. If you do these things, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, you will be saved. Anybody lift up your hand and put it right back down. We'll pray together. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you for the testimony 
by no raising of hands today, that means that everybody in this place is saved. Which means that if the rapture were to take place at this very moment, this room would be empty of human beings. What a great testimony. But just in case, I want us to all pray this prayer out loud, whether you raised your hand or not. Let's all pray it. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I know that one day I'm going to die. And I want to go to heaven when I die. I know one day you're coming back in the rapture. And I want to be caught up in that rapture. So today, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. Wash me clean. Be my Savior. Come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. I give you the reins of my life. Thank you now that I'm born again, that I'm a child of God, that I am saved. You're my shepherd. I will follow you from this day on. In Jesus' name I pray. Now, Holy Spirit, won't you fill each one of us right now with your Holy Spirit? If you need a refilling of the Holy Spirit right now, I want you to lift up your hands and receive it. It's time to be refreshed in the Holy Spirit. If you have not asked Him this week, man, you are riding on fumes. And, and you, need to, you need to ask the Holy Spirit right now to fill you and to empower you so that you can leave this place filled and empowered, a Spirit-filled man, a Spirit-filled woman of God, because we're getting ready to go out and do some battle, and you can't do this on your own. Would you lift up your hands right now and say, Holy Spirit, I just need you to fill me. I need to be replenished. I need to be refreshed. Won't you fill me right now, Holy Spirit? I receive a fresh touch, a fresh infilling of you. Come on. Cry out to the Lord right now. Reach out to the Holy Spirit right now and invite Him in. I, I, I can't do this for you. You've got to do it for yourself. Come on, brothers and sisters in the Lord. Cry out to Him right now and invite the Holy Spirit to come and fill you. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for filling each one of us today. Refresh and renew right now. Fresh oil and fresh wine right now. Oh, replenish His Holy Spirit. Oh, God, may you do your work by your Spirit to renew us in your Word, to empower us with boldness to share your Gospel. Oh, to guide us in the Spirit of truth, to order our steps, to give us discernment so that the lies in the enemy will not be believed and absorbed. God, we thank you today for your Holy Spirit. We need your Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. We need your Holy Spirit to empower us today. Won't you do it, oh God? We invite you, Holy Spirit, come and saturate us. Fill every crack of every fiber of our being today. Come and fill us from the top of our head to the tips of our toes. So that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart will be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Holy Spirit, use us to bring glory to your name and strength to your people. Holy Spirit, use us to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ and to boldly proclaim the gospel. Holy Spirit, use us today to be salt and light to those that we work with and live around and go to school with and see every day of our lives. Holy Spirit, may, may we make a difference today and not look just to death, but to live our lives to the full by the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our lives today and then tomorrow and then the next day and then the next day until you return. Hallelujah to your name. Hallelujah to your name. We receive, Holy Spirit, your empowering. Equip us, O God. Equip us, Holy Spirit. Father, give us discernment to say the right things to the right people. Father, I believe you have some divine appointments for us this week. Father, may we not walk around with blinders. 
But may we, may we see the harvest field. Open our eyes to see the harvest field. And Holy Spirit, lead us to someone. To say a do word in season. To say a word that points people back to Jesus. Lord, use us to be a kind word. To be a kind act. To be, to be kind. To be loving. To be good. To be gentle. To be the opposite of what's going on in the world today. And not just kind for who we are, but your kindness, your goodness, your love through us to others. God, use us this week to make a difference. Lord, help us to not just have church, but to go out and be the church from this gathering. Father, we thank you that you've equipped us. And we are duly equipped with sufficient with sufficient uh, uh, power and sufficient uh, weaponry to go out and not just fight the enemy uh, and to be on a defensive, but to get out there on the offensive and do some damage this week to the kingdom of Satan and bring glory to your name and expand your kingdom this week in this community that we live in and those that you have given us the sphere of influence, the circle of influence to, to minister to. Lord, I know there's people that are going to work tomorrow and they got a cruddy boss. Lord, they got awful co-workers. They got, they got bad teachers. They, they got an environment there that is completely anti-God. But God, I pray that you'd help us to shine the light. God, that we would stand firm in our faith, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel and that we would proclaim who you are and just, Lord God, in boldness, be that representative of you. And as we plant water, may you bring the increase, hallelujah, in our lives. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And all God's people said amen. And all God's people said amen. And all God's people said amen. Amen. Yes.